Last week on Beer in a Movie. Um, I would be curious to almost do a little dive into 50s Japanese cinema to see what else was going on. Well, we on definitely at the time. have a lot to cover as far as Japanese cinema. Co- well, we've goes. talked about doing Kurosawa, and like I said, that was right along. I mean, that's what we need to do because we haven't done any of that. Hello, welcome to an historic episode of Beer in a Movie, <laughs> the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to man, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your co-host, Carlos Cooper, with me as always. Joe Hilliard. And Dave Gurney. I, I had to undo what we did last week and go... Clockwise. I, know, I noticed you were very clockwise. forceful with your uh, with your pointing. Yeah, we are here to uh, record an episode of a podcast that some would say has time. been two and a half in years making. in the making. Yeah. Since the, since the moment the podcast began, it seems that <laughs> we have been building to this moment. Uh, has been much requested, especially if you're a a uh, a long time listener, you would have heard us talk about it. Specifically, as long you as you know, a year we should ago. talk about. You know, we should talk about this. We need. We've got to do an episode on this. Yes, it happens. It, it happens tonight. Time, it, ha- it happens tonight. So, without further ado, so you wish it, so it shall be. <laughs> but first, we need beer. This is correct. Thank you. And, uh, and this may tip off some of our listeners if they didn't look at the title as they opened it. But we are going to be drinking only our second Japanese beer. Uh, that we've ever had on the podcast, way we're doing back. Doing a bottle a piece there. Way back. Why not? These yeah. are these are less than twelve ounces. Okay, so the, I got a six pack of this. Um, so before I lose my train there, uh, early on in the podcast we did Isle of Dogs. I can't. It was like episode four or five. It was, maybe even two or three. Five. No, it, was it wasn't. It wasn't two. Okay. It was somewhere between. It was either three, four, five, or six because you came that, on. That was my first recording session, and we were very ambitious in the early days. Did we do three that time? Four. <laughs> okay. We thought wow. we, we thought we could re- we could get together once a month and record four episodes Whew. at a time. Those are the good old days when we split one twelve ounce beer. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and still left kind of uh, so. In th- a and haze. that and that was sort of a, a sad event because I think if I remember correctly, we got a unintentionally very old uh batch of some hitachino nest beer that was left on the shelves too it long was, you know i was thinking back on this episode yeah when i was um thinking to myself like what what are the japanese beer options uh for this episode uh, have we ever done a japanese beer before and i remembered that um we had done that one and it made me think there have been uh, a number of, like, first for me in my craft beer drinking journey that mm-hmm. have happened live on this show. And realizing that a beer could go horribly wrong in the <laughs> bottle after it had been made and thought to be of a right. drinkable standard. Happened, whatever. Yeah. It happened on that episode. Oh, there you go. I never in a million years could have imagined 
Well, yeah. let's bow that, to the gods so we don't duplicate that. Well, experience. let's hope. That, yeah, because yeah. it tasted like straight up soy sauce. Yeah, it was and a really... I could not begin to understand how a beer could taste like something so unbeer related on accident. Right. right, right. So, David, what are we drinking tonight? So, and so we're going to try to undo some of the the damage done there. Wash Although the terrible I, taste I, of that failure. I, I, out I of like mouth. that. I like that Carlos at least found that to be like a learning moment for him. Uh-huh. So, um, but <laughs> it wasn't this is. All bad. This is Orion. It is uh, an Okinawan beer. So it's, it, it is a beer that you can find in Japan, um, throughout Japan, but has a smaller share of the market in other areas. Although in Okinawa, it is more than 60% of the market. So okay. if you're spending time in Okinawa, I think this is kind of the go-to beer that you're going to get in most bars, most yeah. clubs, all that kind of stuff. And we do get it imported over here. It is actually brewed in Japan. So when I was making the decision of what beer to bring here this evening... Available I, at our local r- yeah, Right. Store. I was looking at, you know, Sapporo, Kirin, Ichiban. But these beers are so big and worldwide that they're now owned by conglomerates and they uh-huh. get brewed elsewhere. You know, on the Sapporo package, it says, Product of Canada. Oh, wow. So... So, so this is authentic. So this is from Japan. This was brewed in Japan, shipped over here, and now we are enjoying it. It is um, their, I mean, I think it's the only beer they brew, or at least the only one that gets over here. It's called Orion the Draft. It actually says Okinawa's Craft on it. So they're obviously trying to pick up some of that craft. Uh, Marketing you know, flavor. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but, but it is a rice lager, or mm-hmm. a, a lager with rice as an adjunct, which isn't that uncommon. It's right. very... Uh, similar to American, I expected to taste like a good old fashioned, typical lager from a Budweiser or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, let's hope for crisp, clean, maybe a little bit of flavor with the rice uh, adjunct. You typically a see a lot of maybe, that. Yeah, yeah so it, it, it's already reminding me of some pretty specific things for well, me, we'll, but I won't. I won't get yeah, into. Yeah, let's okay. let's talk about that as we review. Now, why on earth would you go to the store today, David, to retrieve <laughs> a Japanese beer? Well, you know, we, we talked about that the, uh, you know, th- this is an episode we have speculated about. We've, we've said we need to do. We, we even followed up last week with, with a pretty clear directive, uh-huh. um, w- which, uh, you know, yeah. was to, we, we need to do this thing. We need to look at some Japanese cinema, in particular, uh, the work of Akira Kurosawa. And, uh, allow me to say, adjunctly, that in the atmosphere of flight of feast or famine on the video on demand market, it was a good week to do it because there were no big new releases like we had last right. week with uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Right. True. So True. we're kind of in a, a little bit of a low period mm-hmm. when it comes to... With some good stuff on the horizon. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Looking, looking forward to some new releases, but... I love our throwback. Let's look at the classics episodes. And we're starting a double feature of Kurosawa today with um, Rashomon. 1950... Somehow I was tasked with just giving the plot synopsis. What a difficult task. And that is because it, it, it features a effect, a definition now in film language, the Rashomon effect. The idea that many witnesses to one single event can give different stories. And Kurosawa creates, in my opinion, I'll come out up front, a brilliant screenplay of an act. And in that act, we know that the woodcutter Oh, the joke I'd prepared. A woodcutter, a bandit. Anyway, walk into a <laughs> walk, into, walk, into a, <laughs> walk into a gate. Yeah. Yeah. Walk into <laughs> a, 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 a Good. Thank you for saying gate. Rashomon is the name of a gate 
of a, a big constructed gate at the entrance to Kyoto. I was going to say Kyoto. Well, My that man. gate provides shelter of a torrential rainstorm of several characters, and those characters are a priest, a woodcutter, and a I don't know observer, stranger. Yeah, yeah, vagabond. Yeah, and he says he utters at the beginning of the film, "I don't, I don't know." What does he say? I don't know what to think. I don't know. I'm very, very confused. Yeah. Which is the tone I don't of, understand. I don't, I don't understand. understand. I don't, yeah. And he, they tell a story of coming from a court where they were both witnesses of a rape and then murder. And there are four witnesses to this thing. Uh, the, the woodcutter appro- finds a dead body, reports it to the police, and then the we learned this. This is what we know. Oh, right. That a bandit came across a married couple, and she was raped, and he was killed. So let's ask these people that are surviving what happened. Right. And the different stories, the different angles, and the and the, the flashback structure that Kurosawa employs here, where you see the same actors doing the same scene three different ways. Mm-hmm is uh, confusing to the viewer because we have been known up until that point that the film is telling us the truth that it is presenting. Well, now it's presenting several truths and several points of view, and it is a masterpiece. <laughs> well, what what a synopsis. You're right. It is hard. I did it? Oh, thank you. I'm going to take a yeah. sip. <laughs> it, it is hard to synopsize um, because the full effect of the film is really from seeing these different... Variations yeah. on the same event, or how the same event can be narrated differently, and then you know, kind of the reactions of those men uh, seeking shelter from the rain at the gate uh, as they're sharing these, you know, different versions that were uh, spoken about at the trial. Right. Yeah. Um, it, oh, and since one of the witnesses is, is a dead man, it's very, very important to say that the. In- testimony of that dead man is, a spirit is given medium, by yeah. uh, a spear his spirit through a seance kind of possession yeah which i hope we talk about before this is all over with <laughs> <laughs> no nah, i'll probably leave that part out <laughs> yeah so i i mean th- this is notable in a lot of ways this was the film that put kurosawa on the map uh internationally it was a film that won the venice film festival it Golden Lion. was yeah. It was one of the first Japanese films in many years to really get uh, wider distribution globally. You know, after the silent era, um, and and again having this unique approach to narrative, telling not you know a linear story, but instead kind of repeating these different versions of the same story mm-hmm. uh, from from different angles. It really you know like like Joe was saying it pretty quickly became a film that you know made kurosawa's name as a international filmmaker it was the reservoir dogs of his career like this bright shining star has come out of nowhere to create something that is both artistic and human and that's three things now relatable mm. i believe that 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 the culture barrier of what we're seeing doesn't matter because the human element is so universal. Yeah. yeah. Although 
maybe not quite out of nowhere because he had he's well i was gonna say that yeah yeah i don't love the metaphor you did but it's tarantino well (laughs) i mean he had had a almost decade-long career in japan leading up to that many films i'm I'm talking about his burst as an international filmmaker i mean the the international claim that this film brought made him a yes. star. let's not get bogged down on this. we have a lot of film yeah. to I, would t- I would say it's like akin to maybe Seventh Seal for Bergman or you know like what the, the film that kind of pushed you it have to beyond so pointy headed though David <laughs> <laughs> it's look it's like Armageddon for Michael Bay okay. there we there go, go. Okay. Crossed, thank you finally over. we've yeah, beer okay. in a movie right yeah, not Michael beer Bay solves all of our studies. problems uh <laughs> We'll talk about Michael Bay more in the second half. I think we should. But but it did put him on the map. It also brought Toshiro Mifune, who plays the bandit mm-hmm. in, in this film, um, on the global map in, in many ways. Although the film that we're going to talk about in the second half, I think, probably really cemented yeah. his, his reputation. But here already, this wild kind of mercurial presence on mm-hmm. screen, um, he's the first one whose tale, whose version of the events we hear and you know just the way he uh, the second because we get the woodcutters store no he, but no, it's no, his no. but up in no we, <laughs> no we no we do it's not like a debatable thing well the, we get, we get we get the non-story version of the woodcutters but we are to believe for the majority of the film that that's his story but that but his story is he didn't see anything right well his story right. is his, his, his story is I saw a dead man in the forest right his story is he found the body yeah right, right? and that's the story he gives in court that he testifies right. yeah right so we hear his story first now, okay but I now, guess ha, now you having have seen the entire film and those people that have has, have now seen the entire film mm-hmm. look back on it retrospectively and say like oh we didn't hear his story yet but no we did because for the majority of the film we are led to believe that the Testimony right, given right, by the right. woodcutter who, look, we'd be remiss to not say, coming up front, that Takashi Shimura is great. In the, I mean, he's oh, great yeah. as the woodcutter. And, and one of the reasons we did this this week, right? Because we were marveling yes. over his performance in, in Godzilla. Godzilla, which was, you know, obviously a very specific kind of performance. He was a paleontologist. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the guy who understands Godzilla right. and the phenomenon and everything. You know, seeing him here as this kind of more... Um, salt of the earth woodcutter character. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not pointy headed. No. He's not an academic. He's just like quite a transformed. I mean, yeah. even you know, I remember you know look, having to watch a little bit and think like, oh wait, that is him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're right. No, you're right. It is kind of a version of the story, but I guess it's like you know, it's like. If I drive by and I see a smashed up car on the side of the road, I don't think I have the story of that accident to tell. I'm telling you, oh, an accident did happen. Right. That's basically what he's like. Oh, somebody got killed in the forest. I happened to see the body there. Right. That's that's right. the version of his the first story version that we given get. by a true eyewitness. I believe is the bandit. That's the okay. Bandit. Yeah, that's Bring right. me back to what I was saying. <laughs> so <laughs> his testimony is full of energy, right? I mean, he is he moving. is full of energy. He's just totally he's insane he mm-hmm. he is like uh somewhere between a toddler and uh some version of the joker or so i don't know like th- there's just this <laughs> yeah. crazy manic energy to it and it took, he, it took me a while to get used to he wants Same. to present himself as the baddest of badasses right? right i mean that's kind of his mo with the story yeah or what we come to realize because the way he tells it uh you know he f- stumbles upon this or sees this couple in the woods 
pines after the woman, wants to have a relationship. You know, it's always the funny wind how hadn't they blown her veil. There open. you go. Yes, yeah. right. So that he could glimpse her face. So that that attracts him to her. Yeah. He wants her. So he fools the husband, who's a samurai, fools him into believing that he's found some cache of weapons in the forest. Gets him to to what take a, what off. What a flimsy! It ruse. is a flimsy perp, but it worked, I guess. Um, get, gets him to go off, and then you know, ties him ties up, him up. Right. Yeah. Brings the woman there, and in his story, she's so sort of overcome by him. Even though she initially wants to fight him, or she's you know, fight him off, to his she ends up just she can't help herself, no. and she you know goes to bed with him uh, in in the forest there, well and said. yeah, so. You know, you have this version of the events, which doesn't really include a rape. You know what I right. mean? So that right there, Joe, the way he synopsized it, said there is a rape. Well, there's at least one version of the story where the rape is not a rape. But even though, one that I don't tend to believe. <laughs> Carlos, I don't think you should use that as the episode title. <laughs> yeah, a rape no. that is not a rape. Don't no, use that, no. Even though, even though the bandit still does... He has intent, but she's well, so overcome. I was going to say he, he he frames it that way. Insofar as he says, "This is what I plan to do." Right. I did. I did plan to rape her, but as it turned out, she was. So I didn't taken even by need to. Yeah. That, right. It, you know, we just ended up doing the doing the thing. Right. You know, and, and then has this very sh- sort of chivalrous battle uh, over her yeah. with with the husband mm-hmm. after setting him free. And then his, you know, his superior swordsmanship wins the day. Yeah, <laughs> he, he ends up, uh, yeah. you know, taking down the husband, and that's and how you he see died. a classic like fencing duel. It's very elegant, oh, it's, and they have great moves. Each absolutely, of them. Yeah. yes. And he even remarks upon how great of a swordsman yeah. the the husband was. Right. Yeah. It was, it was very Princess Bride on the top of the cliffs of insanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so you have that first version, which is again indelible in part because of Toshiro Mifune and his like just crazy gesticulating and the way he delivers his dialogue it is one of those times watching film with subtitles where I'm like oh my gosh I wish I just understood Japanese because I feel like I would this performance would be something's getting lost in the words that that I'm reading because you're watching him and I'm looking at the words and they still don't quite match up it's like how could he be well I think it's just reason number one why you watch it more than once yeah 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 um you also get the idea of Kurosawa's use of set. Uh, this might be a good part to interject this. The idea of using a natural set, this lonely mountain road, very lonely. There are no other passersby that ever intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, but the use of vegetation in this frame, mm-hmm. the use of mountainside or, or higher grade elements behind so that the entire frame yeah. which is you know three four regrettably is filled with be- beauty you know be- beauty yeah, beautiful vegetation, nature leaves. Um, yeah the, the the use of i want to say we haven't mentioned that the one of the first scenes of the film one of the first shots is a the woodcutter finding her hat and veil right. on a branch well that entire sequence i mean how many minutes is it's like a three three minute sequence of the woodcutter walking into the woods Mm -hmm. and i mean if there was ever like a mission statement from a filmmaker in a movie it's like that moment where he is showing you like that he is going to take something that's fairly pedestrian and he's gonna make it cinematic you know, mm. it's like the entire thing is tracking shots and then shots of like the sky through the trees uh-huh. and 
you know, different angles that were tracking him through that. And I mean, not only is it like a statement of purpose from a filmmaker saying like, you know, every detail, every frame matters, Mm -hmm. but it's also a very interesting narrative device too, because he's essentially, you know, before we hear this, the first story, because this is, you know, just a, a brief yeah. anecdote at this point, not quite a story. Like, he is taking you from the steps at the sign. The Rashomon Gate, yeah. The Rashomon Gate. Uh, he's taking you from there, and he's literally walking you into the, the film. Yeah. He's like bringing you into the story of what happens in that right in that growth mm-hmm. but it's also a departure though from the notion of creating these kinds of scenes on a stage you can no i need my actors in that natural setting to be able to fulfill my ultimate visionary vision and purpose yeah one thing that i was reading um about the scenes that take place in like the setting where the us uh, where the rape and murder happen is that Kurosawa makes a very like explicit decision to break the 180 degree line mm-hmm. rule didn't notice yeah well, whenever he did it it was effective and it fit that moment because that is something that normally drives me up the goddamn wall it's, it's when so, i see so, it something happen. noticeable it's something very noticeable Glaring. because yeah. you know i didn't I think, notice I think, it either if it I happened think, i think even even people that like don't watch movies in a way of like really uh, looking at the camera movement and framing and then or just like watching movies eating popcorn when that happens because of the visual language that we've been conditioned to and that we're so accustomed to Mm -hmm. when someone breaks that 180 degree line it has a weird feeling jarring and Mm -hmm. didn't notice i didn't either yeah so uh we as the film goer understand that what we're seeing is truth so we've heard one version of the story Uh but we're also to understand that we're to be told a story that we don't understand so okay it's gorgeous and the story is compelling and i'd like to get to the bottom of this but so far uh, i'm okay with everything i've seen yeah story makes sense yeah there's nothing crazy outland i mean there is one part that is kind of crazy outlandish about it gorgeous fight scene with swords i mean i I, i'm very satisfied yeah i'll take it but but then we get another story right right so that is a stark contrast from sure yeah so that so you know the wife has survived these events and they're able to have her in this trial so we get her version of the events which is the first to clearly define the relationship between her and the bandit as being rape and then she's at least the way she tells it, she's basically abandoned by the um, by the bandit and left he with... He was only there for one thing and got it. That's so right. I'll move along. Left with her samurai husband who, now that he has witnessed, you know, her uh, deflowering or what, you know, at, at the... A, 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 an act of shame upon her. Right. Which is a thread of both films tonight. Well, you know, it's interesting. The way he yeah, even it puts appear. it is, the, or now two men know her shame. Like right. even just it's it's not even it's just a woman having sexual relations 
is shame upon her. Like yeah. even her husband is shameful. is shameful. Like, but only he should know her shame, which is which is such a strange it's a, notion and way, way of thinking of it. Yeah, well, yeah. My, well, I mean, my my understanding. Oh, and, no. and, yeah. and so, oh, hold on. And, yeah, we well, and so I think after I, hours. <laughs> I I also think that one thing that occurred to me as I was watching both of the films that we're going to discuss today is that I think that there are things that Kurosawa does um, that play on social norms and standards and things like that that exist in Japan. Um, Because as I was reading more about him as well, uh, a lot of Japanese critics found him too westernized and preferred some of his contemporaries as true Japanese filmmakers. And they were distrustful of his international success, and 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 the fact that you know he he's playing with some of these ideas and uh, of like what you know you should or shouldn't do mm-hmm. or be or whatever uh, the role of the individual in society and all this kind of stuff shining but, a light on perhaps some antiquated thought that a certain cast wasn't available to sure. or ready to abandon. Now, I, before even reading about him, it occurred to me that I think that these things are going like it seems to me like these things are going on, but not having a strong enough grasp on Japanese culture and like not knowing enough about it, not having really had any experience with it. Like I wasn't even really that big of an anime kid growing up, like, mm-hmm. which is what most I'm Americans sure. would be have. a gateway for Japan. Yeah, is, yeah. is the gateway. Sure. My 15 year old daughter's dream vacation is Tokyo. You follow me? Yeah. Seems, yeah. seems like a great place to go. I would, uh, but what I, what I feel like I do know is that it is a fairly patriarchal situation. Sure. And so when I... I mean, certainly historically. Historically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I saw it, I was like, damn, like, I knew that it was kind of this way, but like, damn. Right, right. It is but, like but really the film, that way. But the film in its own way is being critical of that. Well, right? no, for sure. No, without yeah, a for doubt. Sure. Yeah. Without a for doubt, sure. which I'm sure raised a few eyebrows. Even in the second film, one of the notes I took was, I would like to do a little research in the gender politics of the 1950s in Japan. Yeah, and we're how, not to the second film yet, though. And then how? And then how far away from fifties gender politics are we really? Right uh, in America with the housewife and the place that I, you belong. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know? I mean, certainly if you're looking at when Kurosawa made made Rashomon versus when Rashomon is set, which is in like what eleventh century, around sure, sixteen. But I, it's, it's certainly a really? modern twist. Yeah, they mentioned one of the characters was born in like fifteen eighty something. They they mentioned in, right. in yeah. Rashomon. Yeah. Okay, huh. so getting back to what, so. getting back yeah. to where we were, uh, because really, she is well, raped. Maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing the two. But anyway, it but because she is violated by this bandit, uh-huh. because the bandit overpowered her husband to begin with. Um, she now him. she now is filled with a shame and a disgust, and she's become a lower class citizen because this violation has occurred. Uh-huh. And now, with the bandit retreating and the husband rejecting her, the story she tells throws her up in the greatest light possible. Yeah, possible. I mean, you know, it's it's still not. Totally great, but well, yes, a murder the, has occurred, so we have to explain it. Right, right. So you know, but in her interpretation, after the bandit leaves, the you know she's kind of begging the husband for mercy, and then sort of ends up sort of fainting, uh-huh. and when she awakes, 
the husband is there with a dagger in it. We assume he's committed suicide, you know, stuck a dagger into his own chest. And that's kind of how she tells it, right? I mean, that that's that's her version. Um, but as, as Joe alluded to, we get the third version, which is through this spirit medium, because this medium is able to channel the spirit of uh, the samurai who's died, the husband. And so we get his take on the situation, supposedly. But, it, you know, as wild and crazy as this telling is, and I mean, I don't know if anybody, but, you know, this... Oh, I, I think um, this, this is where the movie goes who, next level. This oh, yeah? Is, this is where the movie goes next level. Yeah. Is when there's a third story, uh-huh. and it's from a dead man. So, therefore, the mechanism we use is this beautifully creepy seance uh-huh. uh, with an actress who's, you know, <clears throat> you know channeling the, <laughs> yes. a, a spirit. Right. And, of course we hear the version as told by the best version of the spirit. Now, this is the most interesting take. You're of, right. It is 11th century. I'm okay. sorry. That's just... I, it's been hanging me up. And I, it's, <laughs> I was mixing it with the other films. It's okay. So you anyway. said, uh-huh, and uh-huh, enough for me to just continue talking sorry. for a while. And I love doing that. Um, so, we see what I believe as I'm watching the film, and I have seen this film before for context. It's just been a very, very, very long time, and I've done no big study of it is we see what we are, I think, are to be led to believe is the most accurate version of the story uh, to this point. Because dead men don't tell lies. This seance, this, this uh, medium has no, has no stake in the game. She's only there to deliver this man's truth. But this man's truth, Carlos, as you alluded to the second person's truth, is very starkly different than the first two truths. Well, it includes some elements, right? He does sure, commit suicide. Right. So they, so it seems to confirm that, oh, mm-hmm. okay, but the ending that the wife gave the story was accurate, even if the lead-up to it... Because the samurai would have nothing but shame in this situation. Right. Well, he was overtaken by a common bandit, mm-hmm. and his wife was defiled in front of him. That's no fantastic representation of what I understand the samurai code to be able to be there to protect from. Right, right. So so we get that, and and it seems like, okay, well, that's going to have, that's all the information we're going to have to go on. Kind of confirms elements of at least the wife's story and the bandit story in a weird way, because there is this kind of, you know, the bandit sticks around mm-hmm. in, in the, the samurai's version. But but it kind of seems like that's all there's going to be, except, <laughs> and I don't know. You, there's a twist ending. Yeah, there, there's another wrinkle in this in that the story that was, you know, alluded to in the beginning that Carlos was talking about with the woodcutter, that wasn't the full story, right? The, the woodcutter had actually seen this go down. Right. From a perch in and the And did woods. not want to get involved in right. self-preservation. Didn't intervene, but saw it all happen. And, and it's it's fascinating to me that, as, as we explained at the beginning, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. It's so complex. Because at the end of the day, if the lesson is that there are no reliable witnesses, it's not even reliable as to who all of the witnesses are to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's when you begin to see the human and current... Uh, story occur the, mm-hmm. the the retelling of the story under the Rashomon gate yeah and the idea that even the storytellers have got mixed and and you know motives that we the audience are going to learn as we go it's so masterful this is what we know this is good enough now let's twist it and take it into a completely different direction mm-hmm. so he's got we have another we have a fourth 
witness. Let's hear his story. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I don't. Did you want to give an overview of of the of of what of what well, he says? If we're gonna narrate the film, we might as well go all the way <laughs> to the end. We, we, I mean, this is. It, it, we don't usually do this much synopsis, but I feel like this is a film that, well, that kind, kind of justifies it, and because so much of it. I mean, this is a film. You know, Carlos has said like the beginning that the this walk through the woods is sort of a almost a metaphor for the the kind of story that's going to get told here, or what or what. Kurosawa is going to do and I think in a lot of ways setting up the film as this series of different tellings of the same story is is definitely allowing us as viewers a look into the storytelling process in a way that most films, novels, other storytelling media rarely do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of giving us this um you know, this critical uh, statement on how we all construct narratives out of these different pieces that do exist, but then obviously seeing those things yeah. through our own lens. Yeah, and certainly if you're in a like a police investigation, the idea that you're going to tweak the facts just a little bit to make sure that you're letting the police know that you were making all the right moves at all the right time. Yeah. Right. Well, right. So, so to wrap up the last one, I mean, we're talking about the woodcutter who is... Um, you know, some would believe an unbiased third it's party observer. Objective. He's he's not uh, he's not a part yeah. of the. He stumbled upon a thing he thing. wasn't involved in. Yeah, and watched it all play out for some reason. Uh, but you know, the rape occurs, and then uh, there's a there is a fight between the bandit and the samurai uh, although <laughs> although the way the woodcutter depicts it is much more Ooh, it's fumbling it's and they're scared of each other it's they're worth sta- the price yeah. of admission this, yeah. this fumbling bumbling <laughs> fight as opposed to the the gallant uh, sword fighting from earlier <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is good which is interesting it's the way you and I would have a sword fight Carlos <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, but, but, but that was one thing that kind of struck me about that scene is that you're right it is the way that you and I would have a sword fight being Two men completely untrained in the art of swordplay. Yet here we have a bandit who seems to have been very successful and lucrative right. throughout his banditing career, mm-hmm. who would have most certainly had to have fought off some people in his day. And then you have a the most elite warrior uh-huh. in you know Japanese society at the time who seems to have never seen a sword before in his life. And uh, the bandit... Um, ends up killing the samurai and then the the woman runs off and 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 whatnot and you know i was uh, these these types of movies are kind of hard to do like some real like critical reading on because there's been so much written about it that like what what is worth your time sifting through what isn't but i had run across this um uh this article by a philosophy professor, I think that, uh, or, or maybe he was a law professor, but that um, specializes in epistemology and used this film in a class, a, a law-oriented class, mm-hmm. um, of like tr- trying to get his students to critically look at all of the narrators and try to figure out which one of them is telling the truth. Um, which even in his own article discussing his use of this film in his class points out like many would believe this to be a wrong headed, uh, view of the film and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it, it, it is, it is very, I mean, 
Kurosawa, when asked by you know his cast and crew or to explain it to him, is just like, you read it. Like you know, what do you want me to say? Like yeah. you know, I'm not going to tell you. Well, saying the you point know, wasn't that there is a definitive yeah, version exactly. of this. It's that these are all different interpretations right. of the thing. And but and so and there so isn't you, a right one. Yeah. yeah, and so you have the bandit who's making himself out to be the most more badass, suave, yeah, right, super right. badass, like so suave that this woman he's attacking ends up falling for him uh-huh. in the moment. And each one very specifically has his point of view. But even the last one I find interesting because it's almost like. A man who is on the lower caste system mm-hmm. of Japanese life using the story and his interpretation of it to be like, see, these guys aren't shit either. Like, this samurai, is, he looked stupid and clumsy and, like, was scared of this, like, little bandit. And then the mm-hmm. bandit was also trying to puff his chest up and was scared of the samurai. And, like, they're mm-hmm. not any better than me. And, like, it, you know, where this film succeeds, I feel... And where many that have been influenced by it have failed is exactly the point that Kurosawa made in talking to the cast and crew is that it does not matter. It doesn't matter who, which one's the right one or mm. which one's the most accurate one or, or which one was the truthful one. It's beside the point of the film. And that makes it all that much more compelling because by giving you a definitive answer at the end it takes away all of that thought. It takes away all of the intrigue of looking back at the four different perspectives Mm -hmm. that you were just given, that you just experienced. It removes any kind of interest from that. But there is an interesting coda to the film. Yeah. And that is that after the storytelling and after the not understanding and after the, the priest and the woodcutter sit under that gate in the rain and tell this story to a stranger. And they've got their own versions of it. A a baby is abandoned at the gate with a kimono and an amulet. And it has nothing to do with any of the action that we've spent 90 minutes analyzing. Mm -hmm. And there's a very interesting exchange about restoring the faith of my faith in mankind from a religious man, from a spiritual man, who... This story, the Rashomon story that had been told, shook his faith to the core. And there is an exchange about, uh, I will take the baby even though I am the one that stole the dagger. Another plot point that we hadn't talked about yet. A a pearl and dagger that was missing from the scene. Turns out the woodcutter stole it because... It was worth money. There it is. It had pearl Pearl inlay. Let me grab that thing. I can trade that for some rice. Um, but he says, I'll take that baby because I've got six kids and it won't be too What's much, one more? It won't be too much of a burden. I can, well, mm-hmm. you have restored my faith in humankind. So Kurosawa was telling us that this kind of truth versus non-truth, ego that makes me inflate the story to, 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 to inflate my viewpoint, or rather my stature within the story, is a shaking of of of. of, of believing in in mankind that we want to solve a murder so let's just tell the truth mm-hmm. no we don't we 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 boost ourselves we magnify ourselves but um there's a lot to chew on with the yeah. movie so let's open up that second beer now and keep going <laughs> well you, you know I, I before i lost the 
the sure. connection here. Carla started that out talking about how, you know, a law professor potentially or maybe a philosophy professor in a law context was using it. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, as much as it sure. goes against what Kurosawa is doing, like this is, I think, something that anybody who's interested in, uh, you know, testimony, court trials, like you need to see this film. Um, and there are other films too. You know, you've you've made reference to people speak to the Rashomon effect. That there are other films and right. stories that have done this. There were ones before, right? I mean, we've we reviewed Citizen Kane not that long ago, sure. and Kane has multiple narrators telling us different versions of some of the same events that we see refracted slightly differently because of that. But usual suspects leaps, leaps to mind. Yeah, but but yeah. the idea that you know everybody is going to have their own elements that they put forward, the ones that they sort of omit, the ones that they slightly alter just to make it so that they're a little bit cleaner in in the situation. You know, all of those little things that kind of add up to a very particular view that some of it the person may be aware they're shading the truth. Some of it they may just be doing because self-perception is a bitch and we <laughs> and we all have that, you know. Sure. Um but but that in reality no matter who you're hearing from, there is no rock solid objective truth available in anybody's testimony, right? I mean, we're all, you know, kind of guilty of these well, we all bring something to the table from our own individual right. experience that makes that truth our truth. Right. And how can you convince me that it's not the truth? Right. And so then it then it comes down to like, well, what where do we see? What levels of reliability are there? You know, what parts of these stories do match up? What parts of these stories don't? And that's not the work that this film does, but that's the work that if you want to be a juror or you want to be uh, a trial police attorney or, you know, like yeah. a police investigator, you have to be working through, right? You have to be looking for those. Okay, well, you know, these three people say this thing happened and that seems like w- we have a consensus here, you know, whereas, oh, there's disagreement on these points. Well, this what is shape the thing was that we the can't... gun? Yeah. There's... When did this happen? When did that happen? Um, this film deserves its accolades. We ha- we've talked about the plot so much. We haven't talked about the cinematography the acting. Well, Carlos I talked about the cinematography. The beautiful dappled lighting of mm-hmm. the forest that, that yeah. many have remarked upon. The shooting into the sun through the, you know, the, uh, the trees. The, what the, branches. the canopy. The canopy, the canopy of the yes. forest. Um, you know, is, is noted. I remember I first saw this film in a film class. Yeah. And I remember my professor laying out a lot of, you know, like cinematographically that we're seeing these things that weren't really done in film that, that often, you know, using the natural setting of the forest. It, it, you know, we, we've talked about some of this But stuff. I think telling, like, a hu- uh, like I said, a human story uh-huh. that extends the notion back in 1950 that there is a place for international cinema because some stories are just universal. And, and this would be one. This is for sure is one of them. Yeah. Even though some of the details might be specific to Japanese culture, the and the American things. introduction and the worldwide probably introduction to a filmmaking tour de force who was just getting started. It turns out, huh? Pretty good, right? I set us up for the next half. You called him a tour. You called the man a tour de force, though. I don't know if I like that. About the beer. <laughs> and, and, and I was going to forgive almost any Japanese beer that that you brought to the table. Uh-huh. We had a conversation. You would go retrieve us some delicious Japanese suds. Um, we live in a town where the offerings available are very, as you said, big, big corporation. 
Although that's changing. This was refreshing. For Japanese beer, we're going to yeah. get over, all over of, Japanese yeah. beer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was so refreshing, light, and delicious. I don't know if I'm drinking some kind of Miller Lite version, you know, something that they're throwing away in Okinawa as non-craft. I don't know. But it's not like many beers that we enjoy on the show. Yeah, certainly not like a lot of the beers we drink. I will, I will agree with that. I mean, I do think it is in league with some of the American sort of adjunct lagers that, you know, we, we tend to avoid. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll just, you know, your your Budweiser's, your Miller uh, well, highlights. Budweiser or, on the show. You well, could thank okay. David Lynch but, for that. But we usually try to avoid it, but you're right. We, no, we, that was Pabst. PBR. Yeah. And PBR. I had brought Paps even before that, too. You're right. To When we did... Um, Blockers and uh, American, American Pie, Pie. Yeah. Um, but it, but we did Coor, I mean, we did Coors on the Coors Light on the show though. So I'm not I'm not going to say that this is somehow beyond those or different than those. Begun, I put it even going to become a shelfie. I put it in at le- your house. <laughs> I doubt I'll be buying this a lot. Yeah, I found it very pleasant to drink. I did too. I was in the mood for it. I knew going into it, it was likely. I mean, most of these Japanese beers that that end up over here are really crisp, light lagers with some element of rice in them, um, and that's for good reason. I mean, it, it pairs well with a lot of those lighter dishes like sushi um that you would get from japanese cuisine i mean it goes mm. really well with a lot, and, and rice itself right is a very sort and, of and that's the occasion that i find myself ordering these like yeah i'm at a sushi restaurant and i mm-hmm. want to have some kind of full experience right and what they'll usually have you're right kieran sapporo on tap yeah. to learn that those are uh, owned by conglomerates that are no longer japanese makes me want to amend maybe some of my buying in the future or maybe not. Yeah. yeah. I, what I'll typically do, though, is cheap hot sake. Oh, and that's okay. why my drink of choice when I go get some of the best sushi Well, that's, that's usually the drink of choice you see on screen with the uh, Japanese yeah. characters. <sighs> yeah. I I liked it. I haven't had any of those like big domestic beers that you're talking about in a very long time unless somebody wants to get me the limited edition Spurs can of Budweiser if you're listening to this in San Antonio. Actually, I'm going to San Antonio this weekend. I'll probably try to find it. Um, I haven't had any of that stuff in a very long time, um, but this is like crisp, refreshing, yeah. nice, easy drinker. Flavorful, too. It had some flavor. It had some flavor to it. It, remi- it reminds me of when I was under the drinking age, but spent a little bit of time in Europe and was of drinking age there. Mm -hmm. And so so I was just buying things and a lot of the like Europe, like popular, like standard beers in Europe, like 1664 or something like that, that I was drinking during that period. It reminds me of that stuff. And I like that because that was a good time. And there you go. Brings brings back good memories. Yeah, oh, we're just getting just st- we're just getting started. Oh, almost an hour in, and we're just getting started. Well, Oof. when we return, we are going four years into the future. Same director, some a lot some of, of the, the same, same actors. Yeah, some same, of the same year as Godzilla. Same year as Godzilla, uh, released by Toho, same studio that released Godzilla. Lots of parallels going on there. So we are going to. Just 
were bad. <laughs> One of the softest landings uh, coming out of a break that, that we've ever had. We are back, and as we are prone to do sometimes on this podcast, we want to give you, the average everyday listener, a little sneak peek, a little glimpse into what happens in the secret After Hours Patreon episodes. Oh. And uh, last week, after we talked Godzilla v. Kong and Godzilla or Gojira, uh, 1954, the 1954 film, you know, we had a good After Hours episode, and we ventured into some new beer in a movie territory. Dude, we and, did. That was happy. Uh, and so we are coming back into said territory, because as it turns out, a good friend of mine, uh, Alex, um got a got a job up in austin packed his bags up uh last weekend and headed on out there so we had a couple porch beers uh before he left and he brought this over and he left the other two cans of the four pack i you know shared some of the the jungo juice from brewing project and some Mm, things like that uh, while he was here and this is a similar style to what we had on after hours yeah but it's not a beer Right. This is, get ready for it, because there are a lot of words that I'm about to say to you. This is from Untitled Art, by the way. Uh, and it's a... They've it's come a, on strong recently. They have, they have. We've been getting a lot more of them down here, which I'm loving. Uh, it's 9% ABV, and this is a yes. boysenberry lime smoothie vanilla Imperial Seltzer, <laughs> or seltzer as it's sometimes known. An Imperial Seltzer is the first of its kind that's going to pass these lips. Seltzer. Woo. That is exciting, and and as Carlos said, yes, we we, we did uh, sample our first smoothie seltzer. And my question was, where do I buy these? Yeah, right. I, you well, he. Where did Alex get this? Was no, this? No, no. My question was, where did where do I buy that smoothie seltzer we enjoyed on the oh, last hey, yeah. after hours? <laughs> I found it. I got, I got it. <laughs> Joe had the glass upside down. Story, I saw and, 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 <laughs> you you can get this here in town if you're a if you're a South Texan looking for it. I'm Ooh. not I'm not going to say the name of the emporium that you can That's get a lot it from. Of for, aroma, man. For after hours, oh, uh, definitely reasons. getting the vanilla um, and the lime. I mean, it's. Wow, that is... It's poured like a gr- like a glass of opaque... It's thick. Uh, cranberry juice. Three C's, it's yeah. thick. It's thick, it's sweet-smelling. It's, it's very sweet-smelling. It's sweet almost smelling. like frosting. I don't know. Like, and, and you know, it's a no, seltzer. Those just come across vanilla. sweet, though. It's a, well, but, and so it's a it's seltzer. Designed that way. Which every seltzer that, you know, we every hard seltzer we see on the market right now, no matter what it's like, what flavor it is uh-huh. or whatever, they're clear bubbly water, right? With right. alcohol. This has virtually no carbonation and yeah. is plum. It is like a deep reddish purple. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it seems like the connection they're going for, because as I understand it, and, and we should probably be doing the research here soon. We will. We'll, we'll correct this. But I think a lot of the seltzers, what sets them apart, they're not using malted barley. They're using, in this case, it looks like sugar on the can is what they're saying like alcohol derived from cane sugar mm. to to uh get that base Perfect, alcohol yeah. and then whatever else they're adding into it i mean yeah, i don't, it literally says alcohol from sugar there you go um so you, you know it seems like should i read the ingredients sure go for it <laughs> purified water alcohol from sugar boysenberry puree, puree. so there's literal fruit yeah. puree well that's this. what a smoothie is i mean sure. They, yeah. well you sure but this is also a 
a beverage in a can. I mean, I've never had a smoothie in a can. Anyway, uh, cane sugar, key lime, concentrate, and vanilla. Actually. Sure you have. All the smoothie sours we've had. I mean, we th- those have puree in them. No, but, I know. Yeah. But, but it's... I mean that's not normal though. It's no, normal no, for us it's a now. New, it's a new thing. Like, You're right. That, how what craft beer freaking douchebags we are. But, uh, <laughs> well, now, title. now we are seltzer freaking douchebags. <laughs> I'm so eager to dive seltzer into this. Uh, oh yeah. What I, well yeah. Joe, I hope it's Joe. half as good as you want me to do the synopsis. I'm two for two yeah, for an episode. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. A villa, foreign village requires the help of outside assassins, outside helpers, to make sure that uh, bandits that are raiding their village are thwarted. Otherwise, they're going to meet with impending doom. If these bandits take their next crop, they will literally probably starve to death. So there's no one else to call but uh, the help of Lucky Day, Dusty Bottoms, and Ned Niederlander. <laughs> Dude, uh, did you watch dwarfs. the wrong film? <laughs> El Guapo. What? what was did- was the movie you watched in English? Yeah, Three Amigos. <laughs> was that oh the no, there, was, there is a number in the title, there, yeah. and it is yeah, <laughs> hilarious. No, sorry, the point Joe. I'm making is that how many films have stolen from the film that we'll actually be discussing tonight? It does have a number in the title, Seven right. Samurai. But uh, I watched Three Amigos, so I hope that I can <laughs> right. hope you piece it together. Yes. So, so like the wind. Yeah. What a good movie. Future uh, episode. Next week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. The way, what the, we should have done was going. Seven Samurai and A Bug's Life. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Right. We could go on and on and yeah, on yeah, on the could. films that are directly you, influenced by this amazing movie. This feels like a Gurney synopsis. Oh, well, Gurney, if you're prepared. Well, I mean, Joe's I mean, actually, I mean, as, I mean, as much as you were joking, I mean, the, the premise here that you have a village of, uh, you know, poor farmers who rely upon the, you know, fruit of their labors, the, the what they're able to harvest uh, to, to sort of carry them through the year. And right at the beginning of the film, we one of these villagers overhears bandits saying, "Oh yeah, we'll raid that one, but we're going to wait until they're actually harvesting, or you know, because we harvested. raided them so well last time, right? And so we'll wait until they have stuff for, for us to actually take." Um, he goes back panicked, and you know, the the village is kind of in despair. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And one of the villagers. You know, we find out why later, um, actually does say, we should fight. We should fight. We should not just sit down and take this. Um, They go to the village elder, who's an important character here, and the elder actually agrees. The elder says, yes, but not y'all should fight. You need to get samurai to fight for you. You need to go out and find some samurai. It's been done before. He recalls this event in the past where there was a village that had done a similar thing, got samurai to protect them. They were the only village that wasn't destroyed by the bandits roaming then. And so that launches the film where the goal is get these samurai to come. How many we don't quite know at first, but we do, you know, kind of go through some things. And, you know, that that's so building that band of... Uh, of samurai to defend the town, them coming to the town, them acclimating to it, getting the villagers ready, and then the inevitable fight sequence, which takes place over like an hour and a half. Of the gonna, this is a long say one. Like this hour. is a long one. Yeah, just like this episode is going to be. I mean, if we're almost an hour Are in, we're just getting there's a plethora samurai. of length. On, well, I'm still saying. a plethora. I mean, okay, so this is the original getting the band together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where it starts, you know, which 
you know, maybe I should be angry at Kurosawa for this because it has been... You've seen a lot of pale imitation? Because getting the band together is some of my least favorite shit in, like, modern... In, in certain modern films, like, some... Because some people believe... Well, the, I mean, entire franchise, Fast and the Furious, you can't stand because it's so much about bringing these people... So, I mean, we've established that. Yeah, Beer and have, movie have, listeners know this. We've established that. Uh, actually, every rule is made to be broken, Dave. <laughs> every, every rule is made to be broken. Every samurai back. code is made to be broken. We're well, and that is... In, in to Carlos's defense, it's not a band. It's a family coming together in Fast and Furious. Drinking Coronas. It's about family. Know, it's about family. Yeah. Uh, no, but if you go back and listen to episode... <laughs> 13 or whatever it was where we talked about Lucky 13. Uh, Avengers, Infinity War, and Justice League. Uh, well, two films that definitely have the getting the band together. Yeah, yeah. and with with Avengers, it's a little different because they did the legwork leading up to it, but uh, in Justice League, you'll if you go back and listen to that, or if you recall that episode, my biggest gripe was how long they spent getting the band together. And that's, mm. and that's what I was largely, I've gone on yeah. about it too much at this point, but some, especially modern films really just belabor Struggle the point. And to, to the extent of like with a movie like that, we know it's going to happen. It is 100% inevitable. Sure. And if you're not going to show us it in an interesting way, just fucking skip it. Why show it to me at all? Or, or get in and out easy breezy. Like we right. know everyone's going to say yes, eventually let's go. Now, in this one, sure, it's called Seven Samurai, so we know that at some point we're going seven to get assemble. we're going to get seven. But at least, I mean, you know, the entire time, like, who is going to say yes and why is a very interesting mm-hmm. uh, aspect of the getting the band together scene. Um, is um, uh, Katsushiro the the younger kind of like apprentice guy mm-hmm. is he gonna be one of the seven right. is he gonna b- end up getting what he wants and joining the fold mm-hmm. or are they gonna be able to meet their quota without him and they'll send him packing like all of these things are interesting and you know unlike with something like Justice League or like you know uh, movies of a similar ilk where you're kind of already familiar with the characters like we're meeting all these people for the first time yeah. so finding out who they are yeah. what makes them tick like why they're an asset to the team and what about their personality is going to make them accept this preposterous yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, we, we got, went over the synopsis a little bit, but I mean, a, a big plot point in this movie is that these impoverished farmers are trying to hire elite mercenaries basically who, if there's no honor, there's no like social stature there's no actual just like money or wealth no no treasure that uh why would these honorable elite like warriors upper class warriors take the take this gig and so that's a huge part of why like learning about the seven samurai that make up the titular group of well you you have a you have a three and a half hour film right and you're filling it with villagers and they aptly characterize the entire village with seven to ten kind of characters that represent the entire village and then you've got these seven samurai Mm -hmm. who are sharply drawn and very there are two i disagree with different let me finish different enough to identify on screen, yeah, you know, 
And then the young, like you said, the young one, the elder, we, we can recognize him on screen because he has shaved his head for what many people believe to be the invention of introducing the main character in a film by him or her doing something heroic that's completely unrelated to the rest of the plot <laughs> yeah. when he goes in to save a young boy, a young child He's being held from, hostage, a, from yeah. a bandit, yeah, hostage. Held hostage. And, um, that, and that person is played by Takashi Shimura, who was also in Rashomon and was also in Godzilla, who we've seen before. Sure, yes, yes, and it's fantastic. I mean, he's incredible. Great in yeah, no, of, of the three performances that we've recently uh, reviewed of his, I think this is this is the standout. This is standout I mean, for sure. But all three are great, but right. this is he's really a leading figure in this film. He is the leader of the yeah. Seven Six. Yeah. You've got the archer. You've got the uh, the the swordsman. I love. Yeah. Then, then you've got that guy's uh, hard. As returning uh, now stone face. In, he literally killed that guy to prove a point. Yeah. <laughs> in Kurosawa's work, and you'll have to help me. I don't have my computer open with the name of the character who kind of is the lead of the film and all the marketing and all of the kind of fanfare as it's uh, rolled out. Kikuchio, yeah. the guy played by um, Atoshiro Mifune. Right, and he oh, is yeah. playing yeah. again this like crazed lunatic character now it's animated he, beyond belief but one that one that gets a lot more dimension a to the character yeah. as a, it goes on but it's you're the right. redemption it's if, the redemption if you've watched thing. rashomon you've seen toshiro mifune playing that bandit character yeah. and then you see him playing kikuchio in seven samurai it's like oh he's doing something very similar here it's something very similar it, it, it's interesting like he had um it's interesting that Mufune has certain like things that he's going to to play yeah. this brand of person, like the maniacal laughing, which mm-hmm. uh, maybe maniacal. The frantic the right grasshopper. The, the, the frantic laugh, and he's yeah. scratching. Both oh, characters yeah. are scratching constantly. Yeah. It drives me insane. Uh, but he's constantly scratching, and like his, you know, his character is to me. I mean, he, he's he's one of the funniest by design, and sure. for like very obvious reasons, but. The whole time, just watching him like follow them around uh, on the way to the village. <laughs> well, because initially so the seven samurai. Well, they're six. At they're that point. six originally. They do yeah. not want to let him in. I mean, he's no, he's he brought to them at, saying he is a samurai who's and been he able cannot to just, stand. Right, he's drunk. Yeah, I mean, he's fought off some people while he was drunk, apparently, and they were probably drunk as well. But you know, the, these local folks, that, you know, like, oh, you need, you know, if you want the toughest fighting people, you know, here, here's this guy. You got to see him. He's a mad him. dog. And say. yeah, and of course, the great gag they've set up there, where every samurai before him has been tested by having the young apprentice hide behind the door uh, jam to, you know, try to hit him with a stick. Ascent, yeah, with right, a big stick. right, absolutely, to kind of like uh, and they catch them s- unaware, and all of the others are able to stop it. Well, the- of course, the drunk. <laughs> yeah, Nikuchi, you know, no, no, he ends up getting right on the clobbered over the head and uh, stumbling oh, around, and yeah, which that was also really interesting too, because the first guy he comes in and like deflects, he like grabs the stake before it hits him, and like you know, kind of, kind of parries and right. gets out of it, and he ends up turning it down because he's like, why the fuck would I do this right. for rice? But then the first guy who they actually enlist. Uh, just doesn't walk in and kind of starts laughing yes. before he even walks right. in. He's that was like, smart. yeah, too that smart. was a really funny moment yeah. of like, okay, because it, it's it's funny and it's like and it's entertaining from like an audience perspective, but from a film from like a uh, storytelling perspective, like it's a really 
subtle yet brilliant stroke in Kurosawa's part and and well, his it, writing partner as well because it endears you instantly to him. And it's and it's totally efficient in that it's showing you so much about Kanbei, the uh, Takashi Shimura character who's the leader, his style, the relationship he has with this you know new apprentice character. Right. Um, you know, who's just so eager to please the master and Very is like, oh, do you want? Because when he's first to told to himself. do it, yeah. he's totally freaked out. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. I'm not going to hit somebody over the head, you know, but he does it anyway. And then he realizes, oh, this is what it is. And so in the subsequent ones, he's like, oh, should we do it again? Yeah, should yeah. we do it he's again? He's all excited yeah, about it. Yeah. Right up until the one where he actually smashes. <laughs> <laughs> and, then he, and then he gets chased around this, I don't know, R- rickety, house or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, wh- whatever it is that they're, uh, yeah, like a stable almost. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he gets chased staying. around until the um, guy finally passes out, and right instantly, Kikuchio starts snoring. Yeah, he's on the ground for all of yeah ten seconds. And he's super drunk, bro. I yeah. mean, yeah, he's fucked up. But and like he you plays said, it really well too. Then, then they they try to leave without him, but he follows them along, and and so you get that funny sequence with him. And then kind at some of, point, he's in the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, they, they oh, we finally lost him. I kind of miss having him around. Right. And of course, he's just made his way around the front. And of then the he's crew like this way. He, <laughs> I can see them pulling. I can see this screenplay being this precursor to blockbuster action. With yeah. um, it, it it capturing these countless conventions that we have seen, Carlos, as you said earlier, so many times. Yeah. But this is the invention of, or at least some of it's debatable if it was invented, but yeah. it was captured and put together, put together in one really, package. Put together really, really well, yes. For a film that, I mean, I, I want to just say right now, I, I want to admit my shame. I want to bow down before the two of you in our audience <laughs> to say I have never seen this film before this moment. Oh, this wow. is my first time seeing it too. And it is a it. glaring hole. It deserves no its longer. place at the top of all of the lists or amongst the top tens of all yeah. of the lists that it does. It's an amazing piece of cinema. The three and a half hours as I was, you know, because you're on HBO Max, you can see the countdown of how much you have yeah. left more See, often I, than you want to i can't i was waiting i was upset rather that it was about to be over yeah the, it, it's it, you know it, it's, it it's interesting because of the economic storytelling that this epic epic right. film delivers it's worth noting just because it, uh, earlier in the episode and, and last week, you know we talked about how great it was that hbo max had put all those godzilla films uh-huh. up there and they, they you know, it it wasn't by design, but it was sort of fun when we started talking about during Kurosawa, looking, where are these films available? Well, HBO Max yeah, right HBO now Max actually has right now. A, a, a great little selection. Now, it's yeah. not exhaustive. There's not every right. film in there. But a lot of the samurai films are that, that Kurosawa did. So you can get Seven Samurai, Rashomon, uh, Yojimbo, you know. So anybody who's listening to this who had the... Um, excitement last week that they were able to go in and watch some of those uh, Showa-era Godzilla films that we were talking about um, in the latter half of the episode, you can do the same thing right now with uh, with these Kurosawa films. And what you were saying, Joe, about the three-and-a-half-hour running time, you know, that is unfortunately, I think, a An hindrance obstacle. for a lot of people it, when it, it comes it, to what it, it cannot and be. I, and I get it because a lot of times, right, I think of feature films as two-ish hours and in the evening i can budget that two hours but three and a half that's tough to do the thing is once you start it it's you're not going to feel it this is such effective storytelling 
and acting and everything coming together in terms of the style of the film. It's 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 like one of those books you pick up that's a thousand pages. Uh huh. But it's so rich and deep with all of the characters. Yeah. I said earlier that there's seven to ten characters that are the representative of the entire village. Right. Their stories are just as compelling as the samurai stories. Sure. And then, of course, how the Some samurai stories and the villager stories blend. Because the, 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 the film has so much social commentary in it, mm-hmm. including caste system thought. And the idea that these samurai who are above this yeah. farming community of hicks and hillbillies, the, the Japanese versions of, they begin slowly falling in love with the people that they're there to protect. Right. Their payment being only food. Mm-hmm. And learning that what, the, what exactly the sacrifice is for them to receive their payment. Mm -hmm. And they begin donating their rice to the children of the village and the grandmothers of the village that haven't seen rice. They've only been eating millet, this horrible trash crop, you know, trash grain crop. Um, And then ultimately saving the lives, leaving their posts, leaving breaking their samurai tradition to go save individual lives right as the raids get intensively more you know dire yeah yeah it's 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 beautiful story that just yeah. speeds right along the well, way a and, godfather would you and know as you say, these 3 hour films and as you said you know it's a film that you know now i don't know if this this is some number of viewings for me but it'd been a while since i'd sat down and watched the whole thing again um, but it leaves me feeling like, oh, wow, there's even still more story to tell, right? Because there's just more to these characters, all of them, that you could get into if you were able to. I mean, it, it actually struck me this time watching it. And I think it's just because we're, you know, in an age where we're seeing all these really interesting limited series and whatnot that, like, it's it's kind of surprising to me that somebody hasn't tried to develop this into a at least multi-part series yeah. somewhere where where you do extend some of these because i mean the first hour plus of the film is just putting the team together then there's a good hour or so where it's them in the village getting acclimated doing the ramping up to what's going to happen yeah. and then there's a good hour and a half that is the battles and the, and you know these skirmishes that go on as the bandits do try to attack with a love story woven through right. with a uh, you know yeah Individual yeah. stories of, of, of individual right. villagers. And any through. one of those you could extend even further, right? Sure. I mean, like we could have spent probably three or four hours on just tracking those samurai as they're coming together and see, you know, th- that's not to say there's, there's anything like a whole missing epi- here. There's like a whole episode for each of the samurai well, leading up potentially to, yeah, yeah their origin they get stories yeah. yeah i mean that's but a, i kind of like that there's some like mystery Game of Thrones. Yeah. i mean we never fully understand or or at least we're we're never given full explanations for why these characters in some cases are deciding to jump on the samurai i'm saying right like kanbei mm-hmm. kanbei uh you know, we know he's kind of a man of honor. We know that he, you know, he he helps in this hostage situation seemingly for no reason other than to do and, good. And shaves off his top and knot. And shave right. Gives up Which this. is a big goddamn deal yeah. for Samurai to do. So, you know, you know that he has this kind of interest in 
altruistic. Yeah, yeah. humanity and just wanting to right. do well for people, do, right. doing good for people. Um, but the others, it's not as clear what what it is. That, One you know, of them's his buddy. Yeah, no, yeah. He, he has some past relationships with them. Um, Kikuchio, eventually, we do realize, was not born into the samurai cast. And even though he pretends to be, is not. And no, he's just 13. He's clearly 13. Yeah, that's right. But each of them right. have some story of like, I require some kind of moral redemption. Yeah. I require some baptism of fire where I don't go after the money or the glory or the things that this film represents the Ronin to go after. Mm-hmm. There are people that reject the plan because yeah. it's not going to fulfill them financially or fulfill them spiritually or morally, but the seven that coalesce, it's so perfect. So that an hour is given, an hour and a half is given to the selection of the team. Mm -hmm. Because you're presenting an epic, it's important that we learn to love these characters so that the ones that fall, and there are four of the seven that fall, is given that much more emotional depth and weight. Right. And, you know, I don't know if y'all want to go there, but... There is a series of battles mm-hmm. and a series. There's a beautiful shot of a map and then a close-up of that map, the map of the village as they strategize how to best fortify it mm-hmm. and how to best direct the bandits to this place for, for final warfare. And we'll pick one off here and one off here and you go in for an assassin mission. And these are all 30-minute elements of the film. Mm-hmm. You go in and try to kill 10 and then this map that has... 40, I think, circles of the 40 bandits, and they X them out as they're slain as we continue. It's beautiful economic filmic storytelling Mm -hmm. that's getting you to the end. Yeah. It's prior to... So go ahead. No, it's... I mean, what you were talking about with the counting down the bandits or whatever, I mean, it's a wonderful example of exposition... Visual. A visual exposition, yes. not a character looking down the barrel of the lens and going, well... We've killed 33! We've got six of the 40. Yeah. You know, right, like, right, right, right. Uh, because that's... Fuck that. But I was going to say, it's so cinematic and so gorgeous, and yes, you're lost in the 1950s-ness of it, and the 3-4 screenplay of it. I'm sorry, the 3-4 format. 4-3... Aspect ratio? Visual yeah, aspect, aspect ratio, ratio format of it. God, I spent an hour of my day <laughs> figuring out why they did that. But then there's a final battle sequence. And this film goes from great to incredible. It's a rain-fueled, mud-soaked mountain village Mm. that is... Nothing could have prepared me for what I was going to see in that final battle sequence. Mm. And 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 the film representation of action that that is why this film, in my opinion, is elevated to superstar status. I mean, when you think about... Because the the sword play above that, prior to that, was tame. The action prior to that was kind of tame. But this balls-in guerrilla filmmaking style in the reign of just carnage and I'll take issue with the guerrilla adjective, but you go ahead. (laughs) Uh, this is not guerrilla filmmaking. No, this, it, no, it's, this is super. I've got a exacting, rebuttal. planned out. I've got a rebuttal. 
Go ahead. No, uh, no, storyboarded no, uh, let's, filmmaking. Uh, let's okay. go through this because that, that final battle sequence well, gorilla is Well, guerrilla filmmaking is when you go in and you're like shooting as things are happening. Is what documentary is doing. But this is choreographed. This like, is choreographed. This is right. Planned out to the T. Now it is multiple cameras trying to capture right. as much. I mean, cause which was one thing beyond its time at the time. And is. as I understand it, there were there were three cameras. One was the shot. Mm-hmm. The second was an angle. And the third was a handheld guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that handheld guy... He does is, a lot of heavy lifting. ...is what makes this beyond amazing. And it's been parodied, but action through the legs of horses that are slopping posts, around in the through, mud. Yeah. yeah. It is insanely innovative for the time. Mm-hmm. And to see... So much influence on all of the action movies that the three of us have grown up with, and even even given our varying ages, is just mind-blowing. This is... You've got to see this movie if you haven't seen it and you call yourself a film buff. I bow down before the two of you in shame and dishonor that I have not seen this prior to now. Yeah, I hadn't seen There's it no, either. There ain't no shame in that. I, and, and anybody listening... It's not too late. It's no, not too late. Watch, it's on watch HBO Max now. It's, it's not a sin that you've Look, committed. It's only a sin if you deny yourself now. It, it is. If, if you've been shown the light and still refuse, then maybe. But, <laughs> but look, I'm, I'm here to tell you that Whose Line Is It Anyway is on HBO Max. So for no other reason, get it for that. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and while you're there, you There's can watch... a few watch, old Godzilla films and You can and watch Kurosawa some great films. films while you're at it. You know, like you can get in there <laughs> and you can watch... Is, is the Friends series on there too? <laughs> no, that's on HBO, but I am into a series now that I know the two of you have already seen. I'm going to talk about that on After Look, Hours. Don't you dare <laughs> bring Friends into this. Y'all can guess. You are going to... Sully. The one where they assemble seven samurai? Is that no, going, is, was going that season eight? Samurai have become friends. You were going to sully the great name of Wayne Brady. Oh, boy. With but friends. That, anyway, but no. I'll get us back into it. That last battle sequence made me sad that we were just watching that 4-3 aspect ratio. What he could have done there with a widescreen. It's a product but he uses, of the time. But he uses the aspect you... ratio. Again, I, I understand. I no, mean, but I wanted I'm, to see more. It was so I'm gorgeous. Probably... Carlos interrupted you. Yeah, I no, mean, no, no, it's fine. Keep going. I'm probably biased against uh, the the more square uh, aspect ratio, but but it doesn't bother me. And it, it like it only it, bothered it, me then. I wanted to it see. Didn't, it didn't bother me in this film. It bothered me in the Snyder cut. I was like, "Fuck you!" Uh, but <laughs> for cut. but for something like this, where it's like you know, it was older and. You know, one thing we didn't talk about is that Kurosawa went thrice over his budget. Yeah, and this and li- shooting time. This literally was shot over like a hundred and fifty-four days or something. I mean, it's a yeah. this hugely Unheard bloated, ridiculous production uh, that ended up paying off financially because uh, yeah. of second highest grossing film for them that year in Japan. Yeah, uh, you know, it 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 paid off bigger but, than Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, I didn't look to see what the first highest because Godzilla was third. It, it I was believe. like the third of a trilogy I've never heard of, but it was a, like a film that had been built up to. But okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I, I did, I was, I was interested in Kurosawa's affinity for black and white, and I know that some of it has to do with, you know, like I believe in my reading of Rashomon, he in making that film had this very explicit intention to uh, harken back to the simplicity of silent film. He felt that since 
film had begun talking and whatnot that there had been some something lost in there uh and you know trying to go back to that simplicity and then also i was reading which i think you know in my americanized view of film and what we consider to be like important film uh during you know the early middle to late middle 20th century that uh, you know, color was still a big budget item. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know? No, there were still plenty of black and white films I, made throughout I, the 50s. I yeah. mean, I know there was, but to a certain extent, like, I believe some of it to be, like, because color existed in my mind, at least. And in, <laughs> and I think, and I think in some of the way that I was probably taught or shown things over the years, that some of it's like an artistic choice, like film noir. Black and white is an explicitly, like, is is inherent to that style and then you know with other things as well but in actually doing the research it's like oh fucking color films fucking expensive yeah you know yeah would have added and, and and for something like this where the budget was never supposed to be as big as right. it was it and, wasn't even probably thought of as an option and, yeah and then for something like rashomon he gets part of why or part of what helps him get that through uh, is it's a low budget film? Mm-hmm. Fucking sure, go ahead, do it, man. Right, like, you know, right, um, right, black and white. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so th- this is uh, you know a classic film. I think we've we've established that we all love it, um, and we think everybody should see. I it. certainly have more to say about it. Well, we'll keep, I got we'll two keep subplots talking. I got to talk about. We'll keep talking, but you know, w- one of the sequences that I love is as they're preparing for that final day. That where they know that the last left. remaining bandits mm-hmm. are going to come and try to do their worst and 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 make it through, um, and they kind of have this evening where it's like, well, this could be the end of it. We're going to go out with a bang, and you know, there's sort of a funny scene where uh, you know it's it's indicated that hey, you know, we're going to do some rotations here, where like you know, we'll have some people look out, but the rest of you go back and. Love on your wives, yeah. like or or love in, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, no, we, that we, was the second right. time. The right. first time was before the bandits arrive. Okay, they're giving a pep talk and they're saying one one at a time. You guys go back to your wives right. and show them some good loving tonight. Right. And, and so, I mean, Kurosawa does not back away from humanity and right. sexuality within humanity, right? But then the the actual like last night there, they they drag out some right. of the resources, and which is yeah. sort of a point of humor too, because the samurai are like, oh. They kind of have some stuff stockpiled that they haven't been letting on. And one of the things they have stockpiled is sake. Oh. And they are imbibing Hot. and, yeah, and the samurais. That's, that's pretty fucked up. That they've been holding out that on they've the... they've been holding all this shit out the whole time. <laughs> well, you know, they're we saying for a rainy tomorrow. day and they're about to have uh, a rainy day. Drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. Right. And, and, and you get a Is great... Uh, it's Shakespeare, I think. You, you get a great. Uh, and Dave Matthews. You get a great moment where uh, Cambe brings it to uh, um, some hot, some some sake. Kikuchio. The Kikuchio, and he just drinks the shit out just of goes that. Ham. I mean, it is a huge. You know what? What would you he call that ju- thing? It's a. It's a. It's a jug like this i mean it's huge like a big, earthenware it's pot. like a giant yeah it's and he is just it's, the, it's the, slamming that thing back yeah, like it's a it's a it's a ceramic barrel basically yeah. it's, it's between a vase and a barrel it's a yeah. samurai keg stand there you go yeah, it's a so, samurai so you got a gurney robe now there. that's an that's an that's the name of that samurai keg right stand so I felt like it would be a real disservice if we did not at some level acknowledge that and drink 
some sake. That's another non-beer product. That is. It two is. two for this episode. My gosh. In one segment. Oh, my God. So who are I'm we? opening up some Murai Family Tenrai Junmai Sake. And this is best served chilled. So, sorry, Joe. I don't have the no, hot it's, sake. No, I, I had to learn you. all of this. Hot sake, whenever you go to a place, is kind of considered, it's what I call it, fucker. You can laugh all you want to. Giggle. It's just funny. You really are going hot hard. Sake. Uh, is the, is kind of trash, but really cold sake is where it's at. So thank you. This is fantastic. Well, you're you're welcome. I, I I hope this works out. And we are not uh, so sake in, and a movie. Let's go into battle right now after we slam okay. this. All right. Uh, there's two subplots I want to talk about. The first is the um, the romance that I alluded to earlier, and the idea that this, I mean, Kurosawa does not shy away from some. Adult content, for lack of a better word. There is a character in the village who gets enraged constantly when you should get married or marriage is is discussed. Yeah, that and shit it tur- was crazy. It turns out that they go on a raid of where they know the bandits are hiding out, and they set the bandits' place on fire. This is preemptive to them coming into You're the village. You're talking about Rikichi Let's and pick his out wife. a few. Yeah. Let's pick off a few of these bandits before they come attack us, and. His this villager's wife had been abducted and turned into a, con- a, concub- a concubine, right? And which is just horrible and sad. But she then commits suicide when she realizes that her husband is on this raid to go f- knock off a few of these right. bandits. He is so. Is he, is he the father? No, no, he's not. Okay, no. he's a different. Guy. Separately, the father of the girl that Manzo. one of the samurai Manzo. eventually beds because they are young Does he, though? and in love. Well, it's never, but it's yes. implied. She took I too mean, much he, abuse he goes to, to see her that night before the final skirmish, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. we we right. see them kind of go off behind. But a they little... had been close. They've been in similar situations and abstained before. Fair, and maybe they did. We don't know. We don't I get confirmation. That they but did but then they make reference. Later yes. to he's become a man. Yeah. He's, right. Yeah. yeah. But and the the father cuts her hair off because he's so fearful of samurai coming and doing what we learn later in the film had been done to his village mate. This fear of toxic masculinity, this notion that Kurosawa in these two films that we've discussed tonight is one of the largest proponents of non- and I'm going to use a word that was used in the film that I don't think would have been able to be said in 1950s if it was an American film, slut. Yeah. Horror. Oh, yeah. Uh, because he w- says terrible once he things learns about that she has slept with the samurai, he is about to do what we saw the husband do in one, of, one or more of the versions in Rashomon. You have defiled yourself. You have become unclean. You right. have... And that the village and the samurai attempt to talk him out of this position i really do want to explore what the 50s sexual kind of you know politics were in japan because i feel this is kurosawa twice now in four years saying some of these antiquated notions of us putting women in their place because the men when a joke is made of her deflowering Mm -hmm. they laugh it's hilarious it's locker room talk yeah there's some fantastic sexual uh, you know, gender politics, uh, um, and opinion at play here, and so and so this is and so this is a part of the film. It's a deep, deep film that I feel is difficult to really get into because 
I mean, what you're talking about here is very layered because you're talking about Kurosawa in 1952 or three writing this script, Mm -hmm. but being true to the period and reflecting 16th century Japanese Mm values, 16th century Japanese values in through the lens of someone who exists in the mid 20th century. I mean, so uh, there's what's happening at the time in Japan, a culture that we're not familiar, super intimately familiar with is at play, but then also the history of the culture and like what we know about attitudes in the past is at play. The patriarchal model you talked about earlier. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. but, and, and, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, um, it's like Frank Zappa in the late 60s on the Mothers of Invention album Freak Out. You know, he's playing with a lot of these and it's it's a much shorter period of time, but he's like playing with these kind of like doo-wop 50s classic rock and roll kind mm-hmm. of sounds and like subverting them by either making them sound fucked up and deranged or, you know, uh, satirical content about good old Johnny, you know, whatever and but we are aware of American society and culture and what the yeah. like post-war, you know, early fifties baby boomer yeah. attitudes golden generation was like. And we also are familiar enough with what was going on with the hippies and the summer of love and like the psychedelia mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff to be able to interpret and contextualize those two moments in time and how they're playing together. Yeah. But yeah. Because, I mean, he's doing something similar, obviously, with a much larger yeah. period of time. But, but even, point earlier, even without... Okay. Go, no, please, David. I was just going to say, even without that, I mean, I think we can recognize that the commentary he's offering is that this is not a system that should be uh, perpetuated. Yeah, right? For like sure, it, for that, sure. Right. That, you know, this this sort of stance that Manzo has, that his daughter is somehow this thing that he has to you know, protect and hide and, and never let see. I mean, they hide the women in the village. There's yeah. a sequence where they they're, start they're doing the harvest the and the, the women actually come out to help with the harvest because that's part of their work in the, in right. the village and they can't not do that. But it's the first time that the samurai have really even seen that there are women in this village. Right. And it, you know, changes things for them. And so, you know, t- to see that depiction of, the way that men controlled the presence, visibility, what was allowed for these women to do on on any level, and then to see that kind of challenged a bit, and that you know we're kind of left now. W- one could say that it doesn't go far enough. One could say that it doesn't, but it, I think given its time, I, given given I would where suggest it probably given where we are, I think it did. It did make the statement that it could at the time. Yeah, exactly. To, it, to, made, yeah. it went it farther than comfortable. It went farther than most probably had it up until that point. Okay, here's the second uh, subplot, real briefly. The the in courting this young girl, the the young samurai takes her real rice. She takes it to uh, someone's grandmother, right? And we meet this grandmother figure in the village who is seemingly blind, very very old. And hasn't had a decent meal in a long, long time. Her th- these bandits killed her. Some of her, you know, what was it, son or yeah, yeah. They capture a bandit, and the village wants to tear this bandit apart. And the samurai say, "No, no, 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 no." no. no. And then here comes Granny. 
up with mm-hmm. some kind of tool or implement that she's going to beat the fuck out of this guy yeah. with. And it all happens off screen. It was kind of like a rake or something. I don't yeah. know. It was something you It was going to cause it. some big damage. Yeah. It felt like a stabby situation, if I remember correctly. That's dark, man. That is some pretty dark. darkness. Yeah, in were, this film that I mean, is, you know, certainly violent and, you know, going to show some things, but yeah. it it was so satisfying. Yeah. They say, like, what, a letter of venture son, right? They, like, straight up, that's what the villagers say to the samurai yeah. as she's walking through them. I mean, letter of venture son, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what it was. Um, you know, other than the fact that this is one of the greatest action movies ever made. It really uh, is. Just, like, flat out. Plain English, like that's what it is, uh, and it's the cinematic marvel, especially for the time. And it did, as we've discussed already, it took, it it, it gave us the origin of so many of these tropes and whatnot. But my my favorite part of this movie is Kikuchio. I just his character development and his mm. story arc in this is one of the most compelling things about it to me. I mean, you have a character who like when we first see him, he is like trying to join up with, um, Oh God. Kembe. Kembe. Yeah. Uh, I knew I was going to say it wrong. So I wanted to look at it. Uh, he's trying to join up with Kembe and Kembe is like, I don't know. And he's like, Oh, he's like kicking around and he's like doing the, mm-hmm. he's doing all of, all of the Mifune kind of right. like, cartoonish actions or whatever and then he shows up and he's all drunk and like that's funny and uh-huh. then like we talked about him following them around and then being uh-huh. in front of them at one point that's funny and then we get this great moment where this buffoon kind of shows his worth and it and it shows the worth of somebody who uh, really is an outlier in the system and like the way that things are normally done and mm-hmm. how that like outsider's perspective and kind of lack of serious conviction to the rules and standards of practice that everyone is used to kind of plays out because he gets there and he's just fucking petty as as fuck like Mm -hmm. he is so mad or so annoyed at least that all the villagers are hiding from them and are like not they travel we're here to help you they traveled all this way to help them for the payment of rice yeah and he's like what the fuck is you know going on and so he starts ringing the alarm bell and they all come they all come out samurai sir samurai sir help because they think the bandits are coming because they think the bandits are coming and then he's and then he just literally looks them all in the face and laughs at them yeah and then that's that is the moment i don't think we really discussed that moment because that's really the moment when the other six samurai are like all right yeah i mean sure you're at well, you're a 13-year-old, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. you're obviously not a real and, samurai. And, and, it even changes, and it even evolves from there. I mean, it, well, it is such saying. a yes. rich He keeps going. His bravado gets larger. It's like, again, if well, we're what, thinking about Rashomon and we're thinking about the way that he did that kind of more one-dimensional frantic. version yeah. of yeah. the insane. We get those moments. Here it seems like, oh, he's going to be the wild card on this team, right? To, and he d- is. to throw in another trope. Yes, but... Wild cards are rarely, rarely given the, this kind of story time and this kind of character mm-hmm. arc where you come to realize well, the roots of what it is that leads yeah, him to be that this final way. Battle scene where he sticks no, six. No, don't, don't, not yet, not yet. Oh, we're not there yet. The, the. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll give it to you. I Go mean, ahead. The, uh, what you're saying is he is the wild card, and that is what he is. Mm-hmm. But this is yet just another example of Kurosawa laying out this really kind of great nuanced character who is then 
uh, turned into a trope, turned into a flat one-dimensional okay. trope that is used later. Sure. Like, yes, he is the wild card, but yes, he is so much more than that because we find out later that he he is a farmer. Like, he's spilling he's all this tea about farmer. all of you know their stockpiles and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, you were a farmer." And then we find out even more after that when they try they see this this house on fire, and he knows that people have gone to try to save this old man. They didn't come back, and he's like, "Oh fuck!" And and he goes. And this woman's walking out with a baby in her hand. She's been stabbed. She musters up enough strength to hand Kikuchio the baby mm-hmm. and then collapses and dies. Mm-hmm. And then and then Kembe tries to put, throw her over his shoulder or whatever. And then he's looking at this baby and he's like, this was me. Like, this was how yeah. my life started. You know, mm-hmm. this is how I was orphaned and how I ended up where I am. And that's incredible, right? Mm-hmm. And then he obviously... Because he's not well, from the rejection like, of caste. He, yeah, yeah, you know, because he's not from noble decree. Right. Then he's like, oh, I'm gonna go get a gun. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go kill the guy with the gun and abandon his post, and people die, and so then there's like, you know, a whole thing wrapped up in that. But then for his character to go out so fucking hard, oh god, he goes out like such a fucking badass. He literally gets shot in the chest. And is and like still takes and is down. like you know what fuck you and chases this yeah. guy down. This little fucking hoe ass is cowering in fear as this man who has just been shot by a musket, which at yeah. the time in 16th century yeah. Japan w- would have has been to have been the cutting the, edge of weaponry. The yeah, most absolutely terrifying device that anybody mm-hmm. had ever seen. You know, and uh, and then just literally stabs the guy to death and then collapses and dies and how much like how how exciting is the lack of firearms in an action film because all of the action has to happen up close and personal there is no but then the looming threat of just a few firearms is even more devastating than something like john wick where everyone's just like exactly you know it makes the rounds count it makes the idea of there being a gun in play that much more terrifying and devastating but I mean, it's, an, every, it, it's a strict advantage. Yes, yeah. and, but I mean, everything that I just described about Kikuchio's character—I mean, that is a Enough. that him by himself, uh-huh. without any of the other stuff. Like you could literally tell that whole story from singularly his perspective, and it is a gripping, amazing film. But the fact that he is just one incredibly compelling—yeah, you're right—part. In a film that has a ton of compelling characters and storylines, what, what were we waiting on for the six swords? Is incredible. When he dunks the swords into the dirt and he says, "I'm going to kill so many motherfuckers, yeah, I, I, one sword won't one be sword enough." One sword won't be enough, and sure enough, <laughs> and he, he goes, goes back to, the well, to start gra- grabbing swords he, yeah. in this epic, rain-filled, muddy, chaotic, amazing action sequence. It's yeah. insane. Oh, yeah. movie's crazy. Yeah, I um, want to see every. I want to see every Kurosawa film that yeah, either I'm the same way. Toshira Mufune or Takashi Shimura. I think in the, or both. I think that's, in the that's future, eighteen or twenty. That's like eighteen or but, twenty. I know. Yeah. I want to see. But them I all. think in the future we certainly have another Kurosawa episode for sure. Yeah, and maybe get away from some of the samurai stuff. I mean, I, I, really I do want love to see it, Drunken but Angel. Right. Akiru is, Akiru is the one that is one that I've loved yeah. in the past, I and I would love it. to revisit. Oh. Red Beard is one that I liked a lot. I hate uh, you for seeing these films. Already. Oh come on! There's plenty that I haven't seen. We get to watch it for the first time. that's true. We get to experience it fresh eyes. Yeah, he's jealous of us, is what you're saying. <laughs> okay, what I'll, I'm saying. I'll live with that. Well, the, but I'm I'm certainly glad we finally jumped onto this, and I'm glad that we all uh, found it to be as exciting as we thought it might. And I hope that some of our listeners, maybe this encourages oh, them. Got one more note: the intermission. 
Because oh. <laughs> we're watching it is the a five minute intermission. We're watching the intermission. What I've noticed with the Godzilla and this was that we're watching Criterion Collection prints. Yeah, mm-hmm. and those Criterion collections. I mean, there are some people that are have got some you know hate for that, but. They work as hard as they Who? can. I will there fight are, them. Everyone hates everything. Well, there you know, people, it's like what films they omit, yeah, what but films they But they work hard in. to establish that original print as closely as they can. And so mm-hmm. that when that, when that, it, yeah. when, that when, when that intermission came up and the notion that we're seeing another like aspect of 50s historical cinema mm-hmm. at, when intermissions existed for the length for these film lengths. Mm-hmm. And the um ed, the what would you call it condensed notion of the soundtrack, you know, as as you watch the 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 sound the the intermission mm-hmm. is showing you bits and pieces of every like aspect of the soundtrack mm-hmm. and the soundtrack of this film. I took I had an hour to kill before I had to come over. I wanted to do my research. I put on YouTube the soundtrack on as I did my notes mm-hmm. because the soundtrack of both of these films are just incredible. It's, it's uh, well, yeah, what a beautiful this, this was, the soundtracks of a lot of these Toho films from this period are great because I I, I talked about it last week. The fucking score for Godzilla is yeah, just but the score for this has got level. so many different elements. It's got the, your feudal Japan. It's got some jazz elements to it. I mean, it's yeah. it's rich. Well, this is b- both of the films that we did today were scored by the same uh, composer Fu- Fumio yeah. Hayasaka. I thought it was Hayasaka. Who, Hayasaka scored a lot of Kurosawa's films right up through about the mid-50s, but he actually died. This was the next-to-last film, the penultimate film right, they right, did right, together. Right, right. Um, he died when he was only 41. So, mm. But, you know, Kurosawa, I think, worked with some other great composers after that, but th- but these films really do have some pretty wonderful music uh, th- throughout them. So, um, yeah, hopefully this encourages some of our listeners who haven't, that you know, the, the, who are in the the Joe or Carlos camp here, who haven't seen Seven Samurai, the losers, you Run, know, don't ju- walk. jump on that. Um, or if you ha- if it's been a few years, yeah. like in my boat, that you haven't seen them, man, th- these these things really live up to. You watch it alone. Um, Rashomon, I watched with Aaron. The Seven Samurai, I watched alone. I tried doing uh, entice. My eleven-year-old. No, she she was not having. What it. Was it no. the black and white, the Japanese, all the, of the above? The black and white, the running time, the, the her run time having, is a hard sell. Having no interest in samurai it, it as just, characters. It just flies. Yeah, it really. It, I mean, look, it's so I, good. It's so good. I th- look. I I will be very forthcoming and say that a, I don't know, ninety percent of the reason I've never seen this film before. Is because it's three and a half hours long. Well, there you like go. that is a for like it's a long for, film. for someone who works. How many times have you average, watched Buffy? Fifty to sixty hours a week. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of time to sit sure. down and watch one movie. And for me, to your to your Buffy critique, those are hour chunks. So I can stop after an hour. If yeah. I only have one well, hour, I can stop. I really try not to do that when I watch a movie. I really I don't like to do that. I understand. But you I know, did watch this all in one sitting. I, I actually did take a little bit of a break, pre-intermission break, because I started it kind of in the morning, and then it came to be lunchtime. I took a break to make lunch, eat lunch, and then went back to it. And, and Which is your rest. favorite of the two? Of these two? Oh, I mean, that's really hard. Seven Samurai for me. Me no too. Contest. I mean... Not I, to take one yeah, ounce away from Rashomon. From an entertainment value standpoint, probably Seven Samurai. Yeah. That's what I'm going by. Um, but Rashomon's I mean, a different Ra- Rashomon film. Is, yeah. 
it's and it's short. If you're if you're looking yeah, for that right. bite-sized morsel to be able to do, I mean, it's a film that's under ninety minutes, so it's like an hour twenty, hour twenty-five, something. like you that. You can get in, get out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Seven Samurai. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fun stuff. What we drank? We drank some stuff, right? Seltzer so and sake. I'm trying to remember this seltzer because I've been sipping on the sake. Boysenberry lime smoothie vanilla imperial. It had seltzer. some interesting qualities to it. Um. I'm two for two on these uh, fun seltzers. Uh, I'm not going to drink a White Claw. I'm not going to try... I like a White Claw. I'm sorry. I'm not going to... But these are... They're they're giving you a little extra oomph. They're giving you some extra fill. They're giving you... Jarring from the sake to go back, huh? It is. Well, it's the lime. I mean, that. so there is like a sourness to it. Um, there, you know, so, so that's definitely there, which is interesting because, like I said, on the nose, it's very sweet and almost like frosting like. Mm. The vanilla um, is heavy on the nose. Yeah. And so when I take a sip, I'm surprised at how lively and acidic it is. Yeah. Um, it's not as thick as I remember the smooge being on our. It's not as thick as the smooge. On no. our. Um, bonus episode the there hours. last week uh but it's still it's it's got some heft to it mm-hmm. I, I mean it's a rich dark the boysenberry is definitely there yeah. um but i it, i mean i'm not i'm not against this at all my biggest criticism is the sweetness it's cloyingly sweet to a degree but at the same time i could I see myself I enjoying this in the right frame of mind I love I love it. I yeah. honestly like uh you know Daniel shouts out I know you're listening uh, <laughs> as, especially if you see a Facebook post that says we're talking seltzers this week. I know he'll listen. <laughs> uh but he was the one that kind of had touted this as being really good yeah. and then when my friend Alex was going to an unnamed beer purveyor uh here in town um he was like, "Oh, what should I get?" and I I was like, "Oh, well, you know, well, if I you happen to see. Well, well, because 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 the Puff Tart XL had come around, mm-hmm. and I really wanted to try that, but they had this was four day, three or four days after the shipment had come in, so they had already sold out of it. And I was like, well, there's this, there's this New Zealand IPA, there's some other stuff, and I was kind of just giving him options, and he was like. How much do you think I'm gonna bring? And, and I was like, I was like, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving you choices. Whatever you think yeah. sounds the best, you should go for. You know, uh, and he thought nine percent sounded pretty good. So, oh, well, he, so, go. so he went for this, and he and I both, both drinking it. You know, because it's that's a lot of shit in it. You know, it's a lot of words. Mm-hmm. You know, and it does achieve this very interesting balance and all of the elements working together none really overshadowing the other one and you know part of daniel's praise for this was that oh it's a great beer to drink outside uh you know sitting on the porch or whatever you know if you're barbecuing and you won't really feel or notice that nine percent won't really slow you down you could just you know enjoy this throw it back or whatever i think that's probably true and i and i agree i think that I think it achieves a very rare um, feat for something with so much shit in it that it all works together well. It's all very balanced, mm-hmm. and it all the sum of the parts are all present and accounted for while also achieving one unified end product. Yeah, which is difficult to do sometimes. 
Yeah. No, Untitled Art obviously know what they're doing yeah. on many levels. Well, and They haven't failed on this show, I don't think. No, and, so. I, and, I, and I don't so maybe consider that, this... Uh, that banana oh, one. I didn't point. like that one. Yeah. I was okay with that. But I, yeah, I, I don't like bananas. I know you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, for those uh, who are open to the smoothie seltzer thing, I think this will... I feel woefully unprepared to work. rate, rank a sake. Well, I mean, did you yeah. enjoy drinking it? Oh, hell yeah, I did. Because oh, yeah. I, I was taking drinking. myself back to, you know, the film and the tone of yeah. t- tonight. I love uh, sake at, you know, at the appropriate times. Mm-hmm. I like a nigori, those uh, unfiltered white, you know, creamy. Which looks like what they were drinking in yes. the, uh, yeah. you know, when you I, yeah, see right. it spilling over yeah. his mouth, it's, yeah, yeah it's If white, I see that yeah. on the menu, I'll go there. But I haven't had so much that I feel versed in comparing or rating or ranking or i don't necessarily either i mean it's not something i drink all the time but i appreciate you for bringing it well you're welcome um it's it's actually a bottle i've had for a little while in my refrigerator because i keep thinking oh we're gonna i i honestly i think i've had it throughout covid19 because Mm. i keep thinking oh we'll do takeout sushi at some point like i'm gonna want sushi exactly but i just exactly i have appropriate beverage for the appropriate time. but i have this block where i will not i just feel like it's robbing myself of the sushi experience to, to bring get it, it home. in a styrofoam container. I've robbed myself of the sushi experience of six times maybe during the pandemic yeah. and it hasn't felt like too big of a robbery. Well, Go good, ahead and take the for lead. you. I've I've done it a couple Title times. Of the episode. But robbing yourself of the sushi experience. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, too anyway, it's too long. But but I I like this. It's it's a very clean, very yeah. dry. Yes. Um it's you know it's not super sweet. A um, little bit of fruit essence mm-hmm. in there that, you know, like I think that's just coming out of the natural kind of yeah. fermentation process, not like they've added fruit to it. Uh, I, you know, I thought it was really enjoyable and at 14 and a half percent. I can't argue with the word you it. said yeah. and thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. Well, this has been a landmark an episode. An epic. What are uh, we over two hours now? <laughs> we're almost we're almost right at two hours. Oh yeah, my yeah. gosh, folks. It has been an epic Thank you for hanging with us. A landmark episode of Beer in a Movie. If you have seen Rashomon, if you have seen Seven Samurai, if you've you know had had if you've had the beer or the smoothie seltzer or the or the sake that we had here today and you have enjoyed them or disliked them or whatever the case may be we want to know all of your thoughts and opinions all of your hot spicy takes on all of these different subjects and if you want to get in on the conversation you can find us on all of your favorite social media platforms twitter at beer movie show instagram at beer and movie facebook.com slash beer and movie tx beer and movie podcast.com you can listen to all of our past episodes there um and of course like we've uh mentioned several times on this episode patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast five dollars a month gets you a bonus episode every single week you can donate less if you like but you won't get those sweet sweet bonus episodes and you can donate more if you really got it like that and you just want to flex on us and you know uh really go there uh and support the show we appreciate it um when you support the show if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review and subscribe. We know you're going to give us that five-star rating, but leave a written review, and I might review your review on the show. Um, and yeah, subscribe so that you know exactly when we post new episodes. You're the first to know. You can uh, 
be the first one at the water cooler at the office being like, oh, I've heard the new beer in a movie. Have you? Oh, my God, I can't believe you haven't listened yet. <laughs> um, we got to get to watching some Kurosawa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's put it on in the break room. Uh, but until next time. I'm the one who should be ashamed. I don't understand my own soul.